UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal will fly to two. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. For having me, yeah. uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks. Welcome back to the Typical Skeptic Podcast channel. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, whatever, just rate, review, and follow me or whatever. Um, tonight I have an amazing guest. He's back for a second time. He's the author of The Children of Orion, uh, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials, and his name is Ryan Mustrade Evans, and he's from Australia. And um, well, tonight we're going to be talking to Ryan and he, he's going to be talking about the different contact experiences of abductions in history and how they compare to this group called the Crypto Terrestrials. Ryan is also an experiencer himself, so he will obviously get his contact in series. So buckle up. This is an amazing uh, podcast. And let me tell you a little bit more about Ryan. He resides in Victoria, Australia. He has a diploma of education in elementary from the Swissburn University in Melbourne and has a Bachelor of Arts first class honors in philosophy, literature. University Melbourne, a tutor of Irish and Gaelic languages. He's a, he knows that well, and uh, in all, all kinds of other stuff. He's in religious folklore studies, philosophy, linguistics. Um, he's a fluent speaker of Irish and Scottish and Gaelic, so he's very well versed in, in the subduction phenomena too. So I want to welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you for coming back on. How are you? Hey, Robert. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really good. So thanks for having me back, brother. Yeah. If, so for the new audience that might not have heard of you, I, I really like your your theory. Can you tell the people a little bit about your theory about the crypto terrestrials and, and how you got behind that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do a bit of a refresher. Um, for those who, who haven't come across me before or haven't heard um, the last one that we did together. Um, yeah, the crypto terrestrials. Okay, so this is a term that was coined by a guy called Mac Tonys originally. Um, He's no longer with us, unfortunately, passed away quite young. He was a genius, in my opinion. Um, it, the crypto-terrestrial word is actually, it actually means, you know, hidden earthlings. And he, and he coined that to um, put it forward um, as an alternative theory, an alternative hypothesis to explain uh, the UFO reality we seem to find ourselves in today. But not just that, to also uh, apply it to older cases in history and folklore of abduction events or apparent close encounter events some of these events very familiar to us that study ufology today like from fairy law particularly the celtic fairy faith mac tony's wrote his book um uh that went into that kind of thing in detail and, and looked for the undercurrents the, the the familiar um uh substratum that goes between these ancient phenomena in ancient times modern ufo phenomena in modern era and he tried to demonstrate that um 
these were more than likely identical beings causing these the, the same kind of uh, phenomena. Now, I thought that his term was particularly appropriate for what's going on today. Um, first and foremost, because um, in my opinion, a lot of it, uh, a lot of the uh, abduction events and a lot of the uh, attributes of the beings that seem to be the, um, uh, we experience nowadays under subjecting people to these kinds of experiences, um, they are, they have attributes that um, really conform closely to perhaps speculating about beings that have a relationship with the earth rather than being extra terrestrial beings. So if you have the hypothesis that everyone's very familiar with, the extraterrestrial hypothesis that suggests the beings behind uh, close encounter phenomena are um, certainly from another planet, not Earth, but even extrasolar people normally say, as in outside our solar system. Why is it, Tony's asked, and I agree, that these beings seem to have a particular interest in our genetics? Um, and uh, certainly sometimes even, according to some cases, uh, and some witnesses and some experiences can interbreed with us copulate in the old-fashioned kind of way you know so you've got uh the um you've got um up in um uh 1957 in brazil let's just say the um the, we've got the cases there we've got um we've got cases in uh sydney as well antonio um, villas boas right antonio oh, yeah, yeah villas boas yeah um yeah yeah for sure villas boas and there's a, there's a several of them as well thanks for that my mind went black then robert uh yeah, so these cases, you know, there's a genetic affiliation there and there's, there's these kinds of sexual interactions that um, if these beings were actually completely and totally extraterrestrial, you'd, this seems to be a bizarre way of behave, interacting with it. Uh, and even just the collection of genetics from us, um, even when it's not to the point of, even when it's in a more clinical way and it's not um, actual sexual uh, interactions and things like that, what could they want with us if they don't have a genetic affiliation with, with um with our planet and with us. Um, so cryptoterrestrial, I thought, you know, that's a very interesting uh, way of seeing it. And I, I really like the term and I think it actually helps to explain a lot. Now, I've had experiences myself as, as you noted, Robert. Um, now the beings, there's much more to them than that. Uh, the cryptoterrestrial umbrella is just, it's one kind of facet. And I think it's an, an excellent way of seeing them to start with that kind of flesh and blood reality and a nuts and bolts reality. And before sort of wandering off into the woo-woo and considering some of these sort of multi-dimensional aspects and um, quasi-spiritual aspects of the abduction phenomena and the UFO phenomena, to bring it back down to sort of like a, a, a solid reality um, and then perhaps move on from there. Otherwise, people just get lost. So what I, now in the experiences I've had, um, from when I was a kid, I've had uh, various experiences um, and some of them like sporadic experiences over my life with things that I thought perhaps were fairies or elves or something like that. And as McTonies had noted, there's a lot of similarities with the abduction law early on. And some of the beings, even physical descriptions match quite closely, conform quite closely to um, uh, some of the races of ETs that people allegedly are in contact with nowadays. So um, I had a lot of experiences of a poltergeist kind of, fashion, um, even seeing beings um, that struck me as looking like maybe they were tree spirits. Um, and it wasn't until perhaps about 10 years ago that uh, my experiences sort of took off more and, and also took on more of a bent of like a more stereotypical ET um, kind of scenario with like clinical situations or procedures, you know, sort of yeah. typical abductee phenomenon kind of stuff 
And then I started to think, hold on a sec, maybe there's this relationship between my older experiences and the newer ones. So, um, uh, but there are other facets to it. I do agree with people that crypto terrestrial is just one element of it, but it is the, it is the word that I decided to really cling onto and attach to because you have to start somewhere. Now the beings themselves have told me a lot about themselves in more recent times and it's stuff I haven't gone into in that first book, but I am writing another book and I'm talking a lot about that kind of stuff as well. In the first book, I only really talk about my own experiences towards the end and the, the vast bulk of the book is um, me looking at different cases through history, um, you know, inspired by Jacques Vallée, the, the, the great Jacques Vallée, um, that noted these similarities himself. Mac Tony's built on these kinds of things. But Charles Vallée, Hall as well. You draw on Charles Hall right too, right? Charles Hall as well, yeah. Um, yes. Um, now, there's a particular kind of fairy race, you know, uh, Jacques Vallée and also Mac Tony's really focused in on the Gaelic fairy faith. There's a particular kind of race that was called the gentry or Nahuishlan in Gaelic. Uh, they chirped and whistled, tall fair beings, um, magical beings float around on the horizon and things are looking like will-o'-wisp and illumin illuminated beings and entities lived inside mountains and subterraneous dwellings. Um, could become invisible at will, would abduct people sometimes, you know, and that, that description I just gave of the Gaelic gentry from old Gaelic folklore is perfectly applicable to Charles Hall's Tall Whites. Um, so that is a major factor of, that I talk about in my book when I'm building a profile or build what I call a crypto terrestrial profile, a CT profile for brevity. Um, and I look for the mutual characteristics between older fairy, the older fairy faith, and particularly those beings, Nahuishlan, compare them to the tall whites of Charles Hall. Um, so, you, you know, your listeners are probably familiar with Charles Hall, but I'll very, very quickly, if it's okay, Robert, I'll just do a, a, a brief refresher for people. Sure. Um, Charles Hall, um, uh, he uh, was, he went to, um, I think it was in the years... 1962 to 64, but I might be wrong about that. Mid 60s, anyway, he was allocated to um, Nellis Air Force Base um, in Nevada, and he was a weather observer. So his position in the Air Force was weather observer, letting balloons aloft uh, with a uh, theodolite uh, measuring their speed and, uh, across the sky, phoning it in. This was his job, and he'd go out there on his own and into the desert. Um, and he did this for two years and people, he found, he later came to understand that a lot of people that have been there wouldn't last as long as he did. Um, they would be terrified. Um, they didn't like talking about their experiences and they'd, and they'd leave. But basically he, he himself stuck to it and he came to understand why people were bailing out on this. He was subjected to um, prolonged and regular interaction with a race of beings, the chalk white in appearance large blue eyes um, that were subterranean dwelling that would bark and chirp and whistle. Um, they had advanced technologies. Um, they would sometimes, when he uh, was moving around, um, he'd have, you know, missing time. Um, he'd say he felt his mind clouding over and things like that. Um, now, these, this is the same race that I ended up identifying as being the very race that I have interactions and encounters with. That they and they have said to me that they call themselves the Madjana. That's not a word that Charles Hall used, but um, so Nahuishlan from old Gaelic times, 
the Madjana or the tall whites, as Charles Hall called them, are identical beings that have been here for a very, very long time. Now, I identify them as crypto terrestrials. Um, Charles Hall thought of them as being aliens. He didn't know where they were from. He speculated they might be from, from Arcturus, I think, but he based that on um, uh, information. I think he, he was looking through a theodolite one day. He suspected one of them had been looking through it, and he thought that the being had been looking at Arcturus system. There were a couple other reasons he thought maybe they were from Arcturus. They were evasive in that. They wouldn't tell him where they were from. Um, so in my book, I talk about how um, they're definitely from the Earth. Uh, now, uh, now, I know that they are because they since have told me these kinds of things. But what, I, but what I try to do in the book is leave my experiences out of it as much as possible. And I try to be objective and build a profile of characteristics to demonstrate through older encounter of uh, encounter law, folklore, up till modern days, you can follow these beings. You can take note and build a compendium of characteristics of their appearance, their habitation, their even their spiritual systems, um, their technologies, the kinds of play and behavior, their languages, and all that kind of thing. And demon, and as you move through and use this crypto terrestrial profile to find them in other cases. Each new case serves to inform the profile ever further, builds upon it. Um, and so, you know, I sort of finished my book early and thought there's so much left to write. So now I'm writing the next one and building and still seeking them further to demonstrate to people in a more objective way than just saying, I'm an experiencer. This is what beings have told me, blah, blah, blah. Um, to try and engage people in a more objective, rational kind of way for those kind of, kinds of people that, that, that want or require that. And try to demonstrate beyond reasonable doubt and establish that they exist. Um, I got a so, question. Uh, they yeah. have some really weird stuff. Like they have like uh, suit technology that me and you talked about. I wanted to bring that up because I think that's really important, like that they wear suits. And that's why people can be getting tricked into thinking that they're different beings. And then also uh, another cool thing that you brought up last podcast that I thought we should mention is you said, I thought this was so funny. You said in their craft that they have like, memorabilia from our planet they have like bus seats or something like that i'm just giving an example that might not be it but they have like weird shit from like our planet in their craft right like nostalgic stuff it seems like was that was that right did i get that right and that also about the um the suits they wear if you could touch on most of those things okay yeah I'll, I'll i'll talk about the the craft that i've been on first uh no, not necessarily not, ne not memorabilia but functional objects um they rely on our infrastructure to a large extent. So they have, now their the, the history is, is very complicated. Um, they are a kind of future human, but it depends on what you mean by, by time travel because um, they actually cross timelines and you could argue that they're more interdimensional beings than, than uh, future humans. But they brought with them uh, a large amount of technology, craft um, and technology, advanced technology, cloaking technology, and things like that of all different kinds but they don't have the means or the um, access to the materials um, or the infrastructure that they had back where they were originally from. This gets complicated. They were from a version of Earth at one stage, but anyway. But, they, but they, anyway, they are limited now as to what they can build new technology with now that they're here. And so they rely on our Homo sapiens infrastructure, our materials, our fabrications, which means now they utilize this to great effect, but use their science 
to use our technologies to superior effect. So these kinds of what some people sometimes call RV craft, like um, um, uh, and also Tic Tacs, in my opinion, the Tic Tac craft that are, that are famous uh, nowadays in media talked about, I think are probably the same craft as the craft that Charles Hall called RV, like recreational vehicles, because they basically look like an RV or a small bus without wheels. They even sometimes have windows along the sides. Um, I've been in them several times um, and they are, they have, yes, like bus, they have bus seats, the seats for the pilot at the front look like they're from our fighter planes probably. Um, and they appear to be, they're not seamless, you know, like they haven't been like not the, the craft that they brought with them, the composers, some of their fleet are seamless, uh, biological grown, um, uh, grown in zero G, uh, vehicles that are, are commonly talked about in ufology when people talk about, you know, you'll see a craft zipping along and it's like a, it's like a seamless magical thing, you know. Sorry about that. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, now, but the, we live really close to a, a, a roundabout here with really busy traffic. So I apologize. I've closed the windows all right. and the door and all that kind of right. stuff. <laughs> and uh, this mic, this new mic, I'm not very used to it. And it's probably picking up all sorts of sounds. But um, yes, but the, the craft that I've been in um, are obviously made out of separate sections. This sectional build, you know. Now, Charles Hall had talked about this as well, and his books, The Millennial Hospitality Books, um, um, now they first came out in the early 2000s. He coined the term tall bites that's popularly used in ufology now. People often use that. But he was the first guy. Before that, usually these kinds of beings were more were called Nordics. Nordics is an older term for them. Sometimes people make a distinction between now between tall whites and Nordics, things like that, which I think is largely artificial, in my opinion. But... Um, so millennial, in his Millennial Hospitality books, he talked about these RV craft, amongst other craft, large, dark um, craft uh, and smaller vessels and things like this, and longer ones that um, as well that were similar to the RV kind of ones, but look more like like a carriage from a train maybe, or like a, a, um, a, a an airline, an airliner without the wings and things like this. So, so you get them these different lengths. But um, he said that, they had uh, microwaves in them, hammocks, um, showers that looked like they were straight from hardware stores um, at the time, you know, in the 60s and things like that. So they were wow. doing that kind of thing back then. And they're still, they're still doing that kind of thing from what I can tell of being on board a couple as well. A few. Um, having said that, I have seen other craft, but not, not as far as I'm able to recollect anyway, because they, of course, could, they manipulate your memory. Um, memory manipulation uh, and uh, mesmerization and things like that, which they had apologized to me about. But um, now there are other craft I've seen as well that are more, in my opinion, probably of the kind that are seamless and grown and biological in some kind of way. But yeah, yes, for sure. It's, so, so it's not, it's less memorabilia, memorabilic like that, where they're uh, some kind of keepsake or something from our culture or our, our um, technology, but that they, using our technology um, because they are here and require that to now I'll, I'll move on to the suits as you talked about before now the suits um, so some people will be seeing this uh, and actually have video won't they but there'll be people with only audio but 
my book here uh, has a, an excellent picture on the front of the suits. Um, I call them boa suits, um, named after Antonio Villas Boas, because um, he described something like these suits or a version of these suits in, in, in his 1957 encounter. Um, and, uh, and then subsequently there have been a, a lot of different people that have that have interacted with beings in these kinds of suits so the suits can change color but then normally when they're not activated they look dark gray or black skin type um a helmet uh that also has like a nose piece that hangs down and flares out a bit although there's a, there's a few different shapes to the nose piece but most of the ones i've seen have sort of had a flared out look and then they pass up over the top of the helmet. This is for amplification of sounds um, uh, because they, they hoot and roar. And that's another topic we can talk about perhaps later if you want to. Some of their linguistic um, camouflage languages and things like that where they mimic wildlife sounds. But they wear goggles uh, that glow red at night. And then also a, a mouthpiece, um, some kind of breathing apparatus, which I'm pretty sure is just to filter the air because they can breathe our air. They can, but they have, they're susceptible to allergies. And so they quite often wear a breathing device that is merely a filter for dust and pollen and whatnot like that. Uh, these suits have cloaking abilities. Um, when they can, sometimes they can appear as though they're sort of like the people are familiar with the idea of the predator, the old predator movies. Yeah. Have that kind of heat shimmer kind of look, a distortion. Uh, sometimes it looks like that, but sometimes you would not know they were there. They are completely invisible. And I, I'm not quite sure why sometimes their suits seem to be more efficient than at other times in that way. Um, the, the suits have um, prosthetic claws, clawed hands um, for self-defense. Um, and their hands are very, very long as well. Uh, their four fingers are much longer than ours, and then they have a small vestigial thumb that is only about half the length of ours further up their hand um so yeah they can cloak um they can become intangible in these suits which means they can pass through solid objects they can accommodate foreign objects into their form i'm not quite sure you know like, i don't know how that works they're shifting their atomic structure or something like that but to walk through solid objects to walk through walls um they can be um, impervious to harm with them as well with have a field so that you can't hurt them in any way with with uh, bladed weapons or with firearms or anything like that um, and the, and super strength and super speed they're basically super soldier suits so I call them boa suits now these suits th this, this is their stealth attire and also the attire that they their garb that they they gear military gear military grade because they have a military they have two separate armies actually they have a religious order which is like sacred monks and then they have a secular army as well but um, so in these suits, if you see them in these suits, um, uh, you know, I think this is probably where a lot of ideas about um, tall black aliens has come from. When people see tall whites in their suits, they um, uh, ascribe a different name to them. Um, now, in these suits as well, um, they can, and also they have telepath technology, and I call it telepath tech. So in their helmets, they have a technology that allows them to infiltrate your thoughts, implant ideas, instill fear into your mind if they wish to repel you without actually having a physical interaction. Um, so if you're walking around in a forest or something like that, and all of a sudden you feel like you shouldn't be there, 
there's a negative feeling, a negative force. It's could it is a possibility at least that um, they are sending you away, trying to move you away. They use that on animals. They use that on humans. They can send linguistic messages into your mind and also abstract ideas and thoughts and also um, uh, visual images and um, take over your eyes and present other images to you and things like that if they want you to see things. Um, now, these particular people don't have um, a natural level of telepathy or psychic abilities any more than ours. So they rely on technologies. All of this stuff's technology. You know, there are highly spiritual people or religious people. They have their own belief systems. But having said that, they are flesh and blood. They're the flesh of our flesh, the bone of our bone. They use nuts and bolts. About the telepath tech. I'm sorry, I just hit record. Yeah, the um, so with the with this tele, telepathic technology, telepath tech, I call it in my book. Um, yeah, they can um, invade your mental reality and exert influence on you in lots of different kinds of ways, just for linguistic communication as well. You know, you know but, what's interesting um, about that? I was thinking like lately that I I was thinking about writing a book on like people that think they have psychiatric disorders. And I was thinking that it could be like either interdimensional entities or what people would think of as demons. I'm not religious, but you know, or this crypto terrestrials, because a lot of times I think I was, I was saying this in another podcast, people that have schizophrenia, they realize that it's an outside entity giving them those thoughts and they can actually get better. They can control it. You know, they, they, they put those thoughts out. I think that's a big thing of what we're dealing with here. Right. And you think it's these entities? Uh, yeah, well, it, it may be some of the time or a lot of the time. Um, or, well, I'm, I hesitate to say all of the time. You could explain all sort of schizophrenic yeah. um, thoughts and things like that. But but I'd imagine that a lot of the time it could be something like that that people are dealing with and not realise, yeah. Um, there's, I think with schizophrenia, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think most often the auditory hallucinations that people can experience with schizophrenia are feel to the person like they're hearing them with their ears that they're actually hearing voices that are are external to them like they can hear people in the next room and there's no one there or someone's talking to them and they're beside them or things like that. that's pretty wild you know to actually be yeah, able to yeah. That, that's that's something that I feel like that has to be something with psychic psychic uh, psychic ability and interdimensional entities, right? Or maybe, no. uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. Well, with the technology that I've experienced um, that they use, it's less like it's an auditory hallucination, and it's more like it's a it's more like it's a, a silent expression within your own mind. It's more akin to something like your own reading voice when you're reading silently to yourself and that's dangerous like that. that's dangerous right and you well well this is one of their main ways of of communicating um and it feels like um it almost feels like it's there's a texture to it it almost feels like it's a like it's 3d in some way like it doesn't it's, it's like even though it's associated with language and it will be in a language, like in your own language, like Englishness um, for us, say, as, as, as our native language, they'll express themselves in English, say, um, but it will be articulated much faster than in a, in a much shorter space of time than a person would normally take to say a whole sentence or something. So even though it's identifiable as being, say, in English, 
it's like a packet of information almost. You don't hear it with your ears. It's like you're hearing it in the center of your mind. Sometimes it's obviously feminine still, sometimes obviously masculine, masculine or sometimes just neither in particular, just neutral. Um, but, it's, but it's not an auditory hallucination that sounds like something coming from next year. Now, I have um, been in their presence and they've been talking to me and things like that as well using, you know, just the way we would vocal utterances or whatever. But quite often they'll use this way of delivering information to you. And if you're particularly close to them when they use this technology, you can feel a thump. It's like it's a thump in the middle of your head. And sometimes even my ears pop. Um, and I'm not, I don't know what's going on there with the physicality of all of that. But like There's so much neurological stuff in the brain, right? They could be tapping into the brain. Like it makes me think that more the, the reality is more of a computerized simulation than we think or that, that our brains are much more like computers than we think because they can just tap into us like that. You know, that's weird. I, yeah. And then like yeah. with abductions, they can put people out and paralyze them like like nothing. Like they can put them to sleep like no tomorrow. You know, like they can do it like this, yeah. you know, it's very weird. Whereas we have to be long range with our psychic abilities, you know, like we can remote view and see things like, but it's, it's, I don't know what they're using. If that's a lot of technology as well, like, and, and let me ask you this, are those same aliens that are doing the abductions? Like, do they have a link to the grays or what are your thoughts on that? Like, uh, yeah, well, these particular ones, the Mudjana or tall whites, um, they do abduct people sometimes um, and they it's it's supposed to be much more of a, on a voluntary basis but the thing is is they manipulate your memories um, as well so if you have volunteered or you are consenting to some kind of abduction um, then they remove your memory of having consented and then it's a question ethically as to whether they've removed the consent you know in their opinion yeah, they haven't but um, whereas there are other kinds of beings um you know like some of the what would normally in ufo ufology be called greys perhaps um there's a couple of different versions of them that i know about um some of them are taller with more pale skin the skin texture is more like a belly of a snake or a lizard with slight claws they have large eyes but you can still see the whites of their eyes very large craniums um, and then there's another version that's a darker gray with even more um, pronounced scales, slightly smaller head, shorter, with completely black eyes. They, from what I understand, actually have the biological ability to intrude into your mind and manipulate your thoughts and all that kind of stuff, but genetically engineered into them. It's not a case of, you know, uh, normal evolution through natural selection. This is... they've in, They've been messing with their own genomes for, for a long, long time now, which has caused a lot of issues for them, and uh, which is why they need our genes in the first place and to interact with us. But um, because of all of the um, deliberate manipulation um, uh, causing issues in the in the genome, um, you know, uh, you know, One DNA, genomic systems are, are a holistic, natural, systemic thing. And as soon as you are a race that thinks you're cleverer than you actually are and start manipulating your own genes to uh, lengthen your lifespan or um, include um, biological evolution in your additions in your mind to allow you telepathic abilities, pronounced telepathic abilities and make these kinds of changes. Unforeseen, circum unforeseen symptoms arise because of that, um, which you can't necessarily deal with, not through further genetic engineering, which just causes more and sends you off 
on this tangent so that your genomic system, your DNA starts to unravel, which is the case of a lot of these races that need to need us as vehicles of natural <coughs> selection to bolster their, of their, their genomes again, to return to something like they were before they started this kind of manipulation. One, those, one, the gray one, one case yeah. I wanted to bring up was uh, Peter Corey. We've I've had him on my show and yeah. we've talked about him before. That's, that's an amazing case. There was a book written after it called hair of the alien. If you could talk about that and what they found, that was, that was pretty amazing. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's Thanks for that. Peter Curry, yeah. At the start of the interview before, my mind was going blank. I'm thinking, I can't remember these dudes' names. Peter Curry up in Sydney, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's wonderfully interesting experiences that guy had. I think he's had experiences all his life. And um, he was born in Lebanon and um, came out here as a young boy. But he, he has memories of seeing UFOs. I think he was playing on a rooftop in Lebanon with another with a group of kids. And some craft came down and the rest of the rest of his friends were all frozen. Um, like they'd been switched off, you yeah. know, which is another ability these two guys have where other people in the room will just vague out and they'll talk to the person they want to talk to. And then everyone will be switched back on again. So he had that happen from a young age and his mother as well recalls when he was a baby, I think she looked out the window and there was this tall fair man standing at the window, looking at her, moved away. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was in 1992. I mean, he's had lots and lots of experiences um, and lots in the 80s, I think. But it, the one that people normally think of when they think of Peter Curry um, is his 1992 experience. And that was the book. That was the, 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 the main um, topic of the Bill Chalker book, Bill Chalker, Australian researcher, um, the book called Hair of the Alien. Um, and other forensic evidence or something i think of that like it's called um this is a cool book i recommend people buy that it's just on amazon uh, the hair of the alien by bill chalker uh he he considers a few different cases uh, world cases and australian cases but he particularly focuses on uh peter curry 1992 he woke up and there was a woman he was lying in bed i think he felt like there was something move there was movement on the bed and he thought it felt like a cat pouncing onto the bed or something like that but when he looked there was one woman with darker skin and huge black eyes sitting on the edge of the bed, naked, and another woman sitting on him, answering the description, the basic description of Charles Hall's tall whites. Um, very tall. Peter Curry's six foot tall or over six foot tall himself. He said she was um, a good foot taller than him, I think, or would have been if she stood up. Um, uh, huge blue eyes. Um, he said white fine hair really fine white hair that's another thing uh uh that uh charles hall talks about um that um uh, antonio Velas boas talks about uh these people have very fine blonde hair or white hair that's not as abundant as Aaron. but um what makes and then um they had this interaction he became afraid and he bitter he said he, he bitter and he felt like something broke off in his throat and then he was having trouble breathing uh swallowing and then they were gone and they were having these interactions. He said they were like they were communicating to his mind, talking about how there was going to be a baby from this experience. He had um, he copulated and, with her, right? He had, you know, he, had, was, he, had he, he had sex with her, well, right? Yeah, he, he I think he said well, that, that that is the implication, I think, even though I think he says he doesn't actually remember that act itself. Like she was already on him by the time he's and he and he's talking about how he had, you know, just strange mental images in his mind and felt almost like he he wasn't inside his body at one stage and there was obviously a lot of mental manipulation yeah. classifying 
or putting him into a state of hypnosis or mesmerization anyway as well so he's under under the he's under mental influence um and but the most so that would just be you know an, an amazing experience in itself and, and all that kind of thing but what what makes it beyond interesting um and so compelling um and so you know filled with um well i think the implications of it are just just incredible and i talk about it in my book as well um how he then went to the bathroom and he found a hair um, that he put into a bag that wasn't his, a pale hair. Um, now, they have, he set that aside and then since uh, Bill Chalker, the guy who wrote the book about his experiences, wrote The Hair of the Alien, he and some other scientists um, did analyses on this hair and found that it um, was human but um had uh, some bizarre qualities to it where the the shaft of the hair um seemed to have uh, mongoloid dna asian dna but of a very rare kind and type whereas the uh the hair root um seemed to come from a different person so it was like it was a hair graft um and the root itself which presumably is would hold the dna of the individual herself um was rare gaelic basque DNA. Wait, let and me I, ask you I, this. Do you, do you think the alien could have been uh, using that body as a as a container, like you, using some kind of rare Basque person slash mongoloid as some kind of weird like body container? Like maybe they have body containers that they have to transfer into, like their consciousness or something like that to copulate. Well, I think uh, that's just them because these are, this is the way they look. The ones I've seen, I've done a lot of sketches um, and I put some of the sketches in my book and I'll put some more in other books as well. Th this appearance, this is what they, that's what they look like. That's an excellent description that he gives of her physicality and that Charles Hall gives as well. Now, the reason that they, I think that they have Gaelic, rare Gaelic Basque DNA is because they've been here for centuries, for millennia interbreeding with us occasionally anyway that they have now have gaelic dna in them structurally and basque um and uh this is all to again reinvigorate and reinforce their own genomes and allow them to continue reproducing themselves because they they would die out they're they're, they're they're so impoverished genetically from deliberate genetic manipulation and other issues that have maladies and pathologies that they can't deal with other than trying to re-inject our healthy DNA back into their, um, their people, their, 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 um, um well, whatever they are, right? Generations, you know? Well, let me ask you this. What do they eat? Like, what do they, what, do we, what would you say their genetic makeup is? Like, where do you think their genetic makeup comes from or what planet do they come from? And then, um, or, or what is their, what is their existence? And then also what do they eat? Uh, well, the, they are a, a version of us from about 52,000 years in our future, but it gets a pretty, pretty complicated because they're from the future of a different timeline. We are yeah. not going to evolve or change into them anymore. Um, and they have come here to, to um, they've been here for a long time. And uh, you could say they're originally from Earth. So that's why I use the term crypto-terrestrial. Also, they've been here for so long. So they're an indigenous humanoid, um, indigenous to Earth, but it gets quite complicated because it was a different version of Earth. But um, I won't necessarily go into that because it does get quite complicated. But um, 
but having said that, at a point it's, in, ta- it's timelines, right? It's different timelines. I'm so just sorry. Imagine, yeah, timelines. But different timelines. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's, a, it's like Rick and Morty kind of stuff. Rather than time traveling back down into their own past, they've gone to another timeline that is, for all intents and purposes, identical to their own ancient past. But it isn't their own ancient past. It's just another timeline. So they have, in a sense, hijacked our timelines. Depends on how kind you want to be to them, as to say, as to how strong and emotive the language you want to use. You could say, really, they've hijacked our timeline, and they have um, to f- use us as like a f- like free range, archaic humans, free range, ancient versions of themselves that they can whose gene pool they can dip into when they need to to reinvigorate their own further generations and and, and children. Um, now, having said that, they are they are known to Majestic as Orions, and that is because for tens of thousands of years, at one point in their own timeline, they came from an Earth, they left it, and travelled to Orion, the middle star of Orion's belt. Um, so that's called Al-Nalam, or Epsilon Orionis. Um, they colonised an Earth-like planet orbiting Al-Nalam, and were there for tens of thousands of years before deciding to travel interdimensionally or time travel or however you want to see it to access ancient versions of themselves um but so they so their genetic stock is ours is they really are a version of us they're very very closely related to us to the extent that they can those particular ones the mudjana or the tall whites they're so closely related to us that they can actually interbreed with us whereas other future humans like some some that are more like greys couldn't copulate with us and produce offspring they have to uh use other more you know clinical procedures and things like that with extracting sperm and ovum and and growing versions of themselves and things like that but yeah that's so interesting um what i was going to say was uh, uh okay um what are, what are some of charles hall's other accounts like that he talks about um, oh yeah, that's oh, that's right. Um, I was going to say that before. I think before um, we unfortunately had a bit of an interruption there with, with uh, in a, in a stream. But um, yeah, he, Charles Hall, one of his books. Um, it's the fifth book. He's written six. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of his sixth book, um, number six. But number five, I'd recommend to people the first four of good and the best. Um, number five's excellent as well. Number five he calls the Greys. Now, in Charles Hall's own opinion, um, he was interacting with. A different kind of alien to the aliens or ETs he was interacting with in the first four books, and he calls them greys. He says they're tall greys. Um, now, in the book itself, um, he never gives any reason as to why he calls them greys. Uh, he says that they're wearing dark grey suits. Some of them are very tall. Some are obviously children and shorter, wearing these dark grey suits with masks with with long nose pieces. Um, now, I've seen suits like this, and I know that tall whites wear them. Nowhere in the, his first four books does he mention ever seeing tall whites wear these. But when he does finally interact with beings wearing these kinds of suits that I call boa suits, he says that they're greys. Now, at one stage, he says he could see the um, the skin on the face of one. And he doesn't say it's grey. He said it was yellow looking like the light of his weather shack. Yellow or orange like the light of his weather shack. And I'm thinking, hold on a sec, like... Tall whites can look all different kinds of colours if you see them in different lighting as well because they're they're like chalk white. If you have if you have yellow lighting, blue lighting in your house, they do look like they're 
more yellow or more blue, even more than, than, than Homo sapiens would of any kind of Homo sapien race where they, they were, they're just so white, much more white than, you know, like I'm quite a pale person, much whiter than me. They're incredibly like paper white now. Um, so now he called his book, the great. So I go into that in detail in uh, one of the later chapters in my book, children of Orion, where I talk about my reasons for believing that in that particular book, he was still, um, interacting with tall whites, what he calls tall whites, what I call Majina or Orions. Um, but he just uh, believed them to be another race. Now, he, it's a very interesting book because he went out to a different place, a different part of the mountains in Indian Springs or beyond Indian Springs somewhere, I think, but in the larger area of the Nellis Air Force Base still. Um, and um, was subjected to beings practicing stealth techniques on him at night in these suits. And even... Um, in my opinion, getting in his head and convincing him of, of, of realities, getting in his head and manipulating his, um, his sense of, of the narrative of events as they were happening to him and things like that. He was, there was a lot of mental ma manipulation, in my opinion, being exerted on Charles Hall, particularly in that fifth book. But um, so that makes it a very interesting book, in my opinion. It is um, a book that, that shows you the training techniques that young tall whites go through to be able to use these suits for when they leave safe areas to wander about in our world you know in homo sapiens controlled zones um moving through the world and not being noticed uh, being able to exert mental manipulation on people that they come across to instill fear in people's minds or to send because this is another feature as well that's a um it's um in shared in common by ancient fairy and elf beliefs and then also the tall whites and um other other cryptoterrestrial races is what could what you could call glamoury casting glamours you know um convincing you by sending a, an image into your mind that they do not look the way they actually look convincing you that you're talking to someone that you know maybe almost like it seems like a got doppelganger You'll be talking to a friend, you think it's your friend, you wander around the hill and your friend wasn't there. They've taken on a form. They haven't actually morphed physically to look like your friend, but they've projected into your mind what, uh, in, a, in a hypnotic fashion, um, in a manipulative way, what they want you to see them as. And then you do. And in Charles Hall's fifth book, oh, sorry. Oh, I can't, um, uh, your audio is gone. Sorry, Robert. Oh, I just want to say, is that familiar to like what, what fairy lore is like? When people talk about the fairies, the fairies can appear to people as whatever they want, right? A fairy can not morph itself, but like it could, or maybe it could morph itself. We're not sure, but like they, they can also project in your mind and the greys do that too, right? They project things in your mind as yeah. to what they want you to see them as, right? Yeah, that's right. And also that you are in places that you aren't you know, that you might be on board their ship, but to you, it still looks like your bedroom and things like that. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, fake, like I suppose you could call them in, in ufology, people often talk about screen memories, of course, um, where, you know, that you, you will not remember something as it actually was like an abduction experience, but there'll be some other memory or that there'll be, you know, a, a memory of having communicated with a being will be replaced to having communicated with an owl or a fox 
or so, you know some animal or something like that and be, and you're quite confused by that I suppose there's there's that kind of um I suppose there's some kind of equatable those things as screen memories and glamour or glamoury but yeah for sure that's a, the, the the in the old elf and fairy law and when we're talking about elves and fairies it's sort of like those older ideas of elves and fairies and the Sheehan, like the Gaelic fairies and things not necessarily like you know little women with wings as fairies or Santa's helpers at the North Pole for elves but these older ideas elf and fairy used to be fairly interchangeable as terms in early modern times in the middle ages um, to talk about these kinds of non-human entities these beings that lived um, in subterranean dwellings um, and that you'd have to appease you know um, uh, and it also this ties in as well um, I'm sort of rambling a bit sorry at the moment but I'll just say at the moment that this also ties in you know comparing and equating fairy law and modern UFO law <laughs> or abduction phenomena is that um, um, cattle mutilations yeah now, the, the, the fairies and elves um, would would uh, kill um, livestock that was coming too close to their underground habitations um, and also um, injure and sometimes kill humans as well now this this is this continues on till today of course I mean there's there's huge amount of controversy about who's doing uh, cattle mutilations nowadays of course and some people say it's the government doing it or black ops or um, that it's some kind of disinformation campaign trying to make people think that aliens are doing it to think that aliens are more evil than they are and all this kind of stuff but um, uh, they do I think they are responsible for some of them you know like tall whites are responsible in particular tall whites margin are responsible for some animal mutilations we, in respect in particular to trying to exert psychological warfare against homo sapiens that are living too close to their underground habitations so you have a famous instance of um skinwalker ranch that all your listeners are going to be very familiar with i'm sure but um um i go into my book a little bit about what i think the reasons are behind skinwalker ranch being one of the most haunted places on earth and this sort of paranormal hotspot it is in my opinion on or very close to uh, tall white habitation, mudjin wow. habitation. I never thought and about they that. Don't, they, don't play, they don't play nice if you, A, have dogs. They don't like dogs. They think of dogs as being dangerous, especially around their children. Um, or B, if you're a hunter or have firearms, um, they don't have any sense of humour about that kind of thing um, because they consider it to be a danger. Um, so you have malicious and aggressive intent, like let's say you're setting traps, you've got a firearm and you're wandering around, you're going to shoot rabbits in the woods near your ranch or something like that. They don't consider that to be acceptable. They'll try to move you on so that another more acceptable family might occupy the property or even better, um, produce, you know, such a, such a strong negative um, folklore in the surrounding population of people in the area in the town or in the in the state or whatever so that no one in their right mind wants to live there because it's i haunted. got a question the guy that the, the guy that first originally uh inhabited skinwalker ranch i can't remember his name but he was the owner he was a cattle farmer so maybe they didn't like look i mean i'm not a vegan i i don't i don't know I'm, I'm i'm somewhat but that's regardless what i'm saying is do they not like that that do they not like 
the the cattle mute or the cattle farming either there's that yeah, well that's a thing yeah uh, that that yes that's right well they are vegans in the yeah if you they only eat plant um plant products yeah um, they don't eat animal products they also refuse to wear any clothing that's made from animal products they only wear synthetic clothing or uh, plant-based clothing and things like that um now and it might seem like a contradiction where you say hold on a sec they're prepared to kill cattle uh but they're vegans why are they vegans and what's going on there and why are they so prepared to be inhumane enough to just kill cattle to prove a point as a psycho in, in their psychological warfare to to drive out a family or something like that or to eliminate the 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 um a family's business or something like that um but the the contradiction is they as you were saying and implying they do not approve of this kind of um agriculture animal agriculture they don't approve of that kind of um uh those kinds of eating habits in us um and in a, in, a, in an environmental sense they see it as being contributing to an environmental decline the decline of the biosphere cutting down too much of our natural forest and habitat replacing it with huge amounts of farmland you know i don't want to go too much into this i am a vegan by the way i don't want to go too much into this and make you show me ranting about about that kind of stuff but but yes they do have um a, a dog in that fight so to speak um they, they disapprove of it I, I'll tell you what, I just, to... on, just on a personal quest, I've, I've went more vegetarian lately. I went mostly fruits and vegetables. I mean, I do still eat some chicken and fish, but I mean, I've cut out like all pork, all red meat. And I used to be a heavy, well, not heavy, but I, you know, I worked out. So I was, protein was an essential for me. I thought it was, but then I realized you can get a lot of that from plant products. You know what I mean? You can get plant and, and I don't want to turn this into a health episode, but I mean, I'm just, I see your, in your ways and I see why they're, but people think they're, cause you get, when you eat fruits and vegetables, you get energy. When you eat meat, you don't really get energy. You know, I, I don't know where I don't, at least I've never really got an energy burst, but when I drink a smoothie in the morning and it's fruits and vegetables, I get automatic energy. So that, that just should tell people something right there. Right. Yeah, that's right. I think all of the, all of the races that I know of, of, of vegans, you know, um, you know, they don't, all of the, the the CT races or whatever, but uh, yeah, you're right. I, meat, that's it, we don't need it, you know. Um, and nowadays, in particular, you know, we can get all of the protein and all of the nutrients that we that we need from plant based products and from, you know, meat substitutes and things like that in supermarkets. You know, uh, if we were, we were to return to hunter gatherers, um, you know, it might be a little bit difficult to maintain vegan habits if all of a sudden, you know. It was some post-apocalyptic world where we're all scavenging around and and um, you know spearing uh, deer or something like that, um, because um, because then you know you you really have to try and eat everything you possibly can because you you you're bordering on, on yeah uh, survival you know yeah <laughs> i wanted to touch but, uh, on two cases before we we go that two cases i thought were important with it you bring conclusions on were um the uh bledsoe case and the avely case a-v-e-l-e-y avely i don't know if that's how i pronounce it but um those were two cases i thought were interesting that tie into this right yeah yeah that's right uh, look, uh, chris bledsoe um is pretty well known or i think pretty famous in 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 ufology and paranormal research world and and uh uh he 
the Fayetteville incident in 2007 um, uh, was his first conscious experience. I'll say conscious experience because in my opinion, he's probably had more experiences early, earlier in his life as well. But um, in the Fayetteville incident, um, uh, he, for people who, who don't know about it, he, um, uh, Christopher Bledsoe Sr. went with his son, Chris Bledsoe Jr., and um, a few contractors because he was a builder. He was quite a successful businessman um, building company. Um, I'm not quite sure what he does for Cross nowadays, but this is what he was doing at the time, 2007. Um, I think three, three contractors, acquaintances, friends of his and his son and himself went down fishing. Um, now, he decided to go for a walk off into the woods and he saw um, lights in the sky, tried to run away from... Oh, he heard initially before he even got to the top of the hill I think and saw these lights he could hear something invisible rustling through the bushes like there was something following him and he'd stop and look and there's nothing there that's quite a common common thing through lots of different cases that lead up to abduction events with tall whites and whatnot but um where you'll you'll hear them hurt they'll even heard you to or in a certain place you know but you won't be able to see them because they're wearing their suits and whatnot but um so he he went up I think he got to a top of a hill and he saw these lights in the sky and he went to run away. I think he hid and then he saw one coming up above him, but then he ran off. And when he got back, he'd been gone for hours, but didn't realize, you know, classic missing time scenario. Um, didn't realize um, how long he'd been gone for. Um, many, many hours. I can't remember off the top of my head how many now, but it might have been like five, a very, very long period of time. And he had no idea he'd been gone, gone that far. But what disturbed him most of all was that his son was also missing. So there were just the three guys, the contractors there fishing. His son was also missing. And he said, where's my son? And his son apparently had gone missing a fair while before as well to look for him. So he ran back to the to the woods and found his son cowering in, a bushes, in the bushes. And his son still remembered what had happened to him he'd been hiding um, when there were these small beings with glowing red eyes that were sort of blinking in and out going going invisible and then coming back again and they were playing I think they were playing with bottles and things like this um, and when the other guys were looking for the two Bledsoe's the beings would disappear when the truck went past and then it would re they'd reappear again and so uh, Chris Bledsoe's son Chris Bledsoe Jr was in the bushes hiding from these beings until they let him leave again. I'm not quite sure if he was paralyzed and couldn't move in that they were exerting some kind of manipulation on his mind, which they can do, or whether he was simply just frightened of them and waiting till they'd left. But um, so that so um, they all got in, and then they, there were lots of stars in the sky that began to fall. And then all of them all together back uh, at the original position saw that all these stars were all falling out of the sky and landing across the river and craft in the sky and then um, some of the beings started galloping on all fours after them as they were trying to get out in the truck actually chasing them like gazelle like um, quadrupeds um, which is another thing that tall whites do especially their children they run on run on all fours their arms are longer than ours relative to their body length and they can quite naturally move around on all fours um, and uh, Charles Hall talks about that I've seen them doing that several occasions when I was a kid um I remember them doing that um as uh, playing with them with the with their children um being watched by the tall dark ones with glowing red eyes in the other suits um and then um so he ended up dropping people off with craft following them um and when the two Bledsoe's got back to their house um uh 
Chris Bledsoe looked outside, Chris Bledsoe Sr. looked outside and saw a seven foot tall bean walking around in the garden. Um, oh. And they, they drove off. They drove off again and parked in their, a vehicle in the middle of the field and slept there the night. Now, since then, he's had lots of hypnotic regression sessions and found out a lot of what happened to him in that missing time, a considerable amount of missing time in the original event. And he has come to be a well-known experiencer and his family have experienced lots of different things. His wife's experienced things. But um, they have these this double aspect happening where you, and, and Chris Bledsoe's case is particularly informative and helpful when you're profiling and trying to um, describe these beings and add, add, to, add to a list of characteristics. Um, and assign to them um, different appearances and things like that that they can take on, um, is that not only did he have these more typical sort of ET abduction phenomenon, phenomena, but shadow people, poltergeist activity. Um, now, these things, as people who've studied ufology will be quite aware of paranormal research in general, people that see UFOs or have abduction experiences, quite often this will also come with ghostly figures in their house, disembodied voices, televisions turning themselves on and off, radios coming on, footsteps on the roof, footsteps down the stairs, shadow beings moving through. The what, house I was going to say, what do you think the shadow people have to do with it? Do you think they're separate entities or do you think no. that, that, that a portal gets triggered when people see UFOs and maybe a portal opens up? Or do you think the shadow beings are the crypto terrestrials in disguise? They or are them. Yeah, definitely. That, well, some I won't say all shadow people are crypto terrestrials, but most of them, and certainly the ones that I've seen, and certainly in Christopher Bledsoe's case, they are. When they're wearing these boa suits, sometimes they can be completely invisible, still casting shadows. Sometimes they'll look like a dark, like a dark mass moving around. Um, so yeah, shadow people are cloaking ETs. That's what shadow people are, or most most shadow people encounters are poltergeist activity most poltergeist activity in my opinion and i argue in my book and in the, my other book coming up most poltergeist activity is not deceased human related it is ct related or et related um now sometimes they are trying to that can happen for heaps of different reasons you know, but the, uh, you know, they might be trying to scare you because that, like I said, like in the Skinwalker Ranch case, they might not want you somewhere and they're trying to expel your family or you from a certain place. Um, or sometimes you'll be having interactions with them, partially remembered interactions, shadow people, poltergeist activity, because they are interested in you because you are part of their breeding program um, and not consciously know that you are. That's another reason you could, they can, a house can be haunted, you know. Um, so yeah, typical cases of haunting are crypto-terrestrial interactions. Now that's not to say that there aren't such things as ghosts that are, you know, residue of, of, a, of deceased people left over or something like that. I don't know about that, um, but I definitely do know that most hauntings are related to these beings. So when you've got a haunted, so if someone says to me, my house is haunted, um, you know, things keep going missing, things are taken away, and then replaced or put back in the wrong place. I hear voices in the house at night, footsteps at night, dark shapes standing me in the, over me at night that are then gone. Um, people touching me in the middle of the night and things like that. I'm like, okay, you're a crypto terrestrial experiencer. And not that, so your house isn't haunted necessarily. You have some involvement with them. And it's the tip of the iceberg. There's lots of experiences you've had that you wouldn't remember. Wow. Um, and lots of lots of people have experiences with them and never remember anything. 
and don't even know, don't even think of their house as being haunted as well. But those people who think that their house is haunted, um, usually, in my opinion, are um, crypto terrestrial experiences in some fashion or another. Um, but Chris Bledsoe's case, yeah, so he had um, uh, the, the, these kinds of things going on in association with each other. So, you know, typical classic poltergeists, shadow people, negative feelings and all that kind of stuff, um, stuff moved around. Um, and then also, you know, seeing craft or being taken at night by, by tall beings. Um, and um, yeah, so with Chris Bledsoe, that's, he's an excellent case because you can see those, both those sides of it happening. And, and I think Grant Cameron, Grant Cameron, um, Canadian, famous Canadian researcher, yeah. everyone would know, I'm sure. Um, he, he, he knows Chris Bledsoe quite well. And I think either the first time he ever went to Chris Bledsoe's house or, or, or one of the original times anyway, there was this dramatic experience where they were inside together and the dogs, Chris Bledsoe's dogs kept coming inside and Grant Cameron uh, and, and, and Chris Bledsoe would like wave them away and say, what are you doing? And close the front door. And then they'd sit down and he'd be talking to Grant again. And then the dogs were back inside and he kept ushering them out and they kept coming back inside. Right. So then they went out in the garden and um, they were talking in the garden. One of the dogs ran past and blood was streaming from its throat. It gets sliced open like instantaneously, yeah. right? The way he puts it. it. I've heard this. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Yeah, it's spraying all along uh, Grant Cameron's jeans, copious amounts of blood. And then um, they weren't sure, quite sure what they were going to do. And um, I think they were trying to stop the bleeding. And then all of a sudden it was stopped and the dog wanders off and it's fine. Now, what happened, in my opinion, in my Wasn't opinion, that what from, happened? Did Chris Bledsoe, they were saying that Bledsoe maybe had some healing properties and maybe the ETs gave him that? Yeah, yeah that's right. There's a, there's a, yeah, the, I think there's a lot to that as well, where Chris Bledsoe, where people in the community near him um, believe now that he has healing properties and um, uh, the, there's a tree in his yard that was that, um, that burst into flames at one stage. Um, there's a whole story wow. behind that as well, where Mel, Mel, Gibson, Mel Gibson wanted to make a movie about Chris's story. And so Chris put the question to the, to the beings and a tree burst into flames as well, which is, you know, very biblical symbolism or whatever. But um, whether that means yes or hell no, I'm not quite sure. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't think that movie, that movie Mel Gibson, but I never ended up making that movie, but but still, the, I think the the tree itself. I think I've heard people talking about how Chris has put people's people that have um, physical problems, uh, illnesses of different kinds, maladies. He's put their clothing in the tree, and it's helped them somehow, and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, this is separate facet of like perhaps healing properties associated with Chris Bledsoe as well. And yes, he put his hand on the dog, I think, and he was trying to stop, trying to staunch the the, the blood stop the blood flow and it did work it stopped or and then the dog was completely fine in in my opinion what happened there with the grant cameron chris bledsoe situation was that um the mudgeon the tall whites were there in his yard and the kids were playing and and when he's been hypnotized at different stages he said the children come to my yard and play that's something that he's on record being hypnotized as uh that chris bledsoe said that he um now, they're, they're, they don't like dogs, as I said before, the tall whites. Um, they distrust them. You know, um, they're quite um, flighty around them, disturbed by them. Don't dogs can them. see them too, um, right? Dogs can see and, like... And that's also, that must be particularly annoying to them, that when they're trying to, yeah, 
hoodwink homo sapiens it might be easy enough but dogs have of course yeah you're right like preternatural smell and hearing and can sense cloaking cryptoterrestrials when they prefer not to be sensed probably which is another reason to not like them as well as them being fearful for their children and things like that quite often so i think the dogs were being sent back inside by the cryptoterrestrials and chris bledsoe kept letting them out and they kept <laughs> it's like back a funny thing, thing back and forth yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> and and then and so finally when they all came out in the garden in my opinion one of the children and they wear these clawed hands oh my god that makes sense got frightened and actually slashed the dog's throat which is what they use them for they slash animals throats if they're threatened um and uh and then there was this kerfuffle and then in my opinion probably chris bledsoe and grant cameron were switched off were frozen while the crypto terrestrials tried to work out how they're going to heal the dog and they ended up healing the dog and then switching them back up because the thing is with with tall whites they seem to have it they have an inability of they, they don't heal quickly themselves this is part of the issues that they have with their own um genomic structure their own they don't they heal their bodies take much longer to heal than ours do um now even though they have these advanced technologies that can heal us very quickly and heal animals of the earth very quickly they themselves are haunted by these issues where they find it very difficult even with their advanced technologies to heal their own bodies if they get cuts and, and are particularly prone to infections and things like this but um yeah so but chris bledsoe's case just a wonderful just an amazing case and it's ongoing uh, uh he he and his family have continue to have experiences his son um it's not it's not the son uh chris his, his son chris was on the tinfoil hat podcast he was uh, he oh, came okay. on yeah he came on sam tripoli's tinfoil hat podcast and he was saying that that, that aliens are real that they're, they're interdimensional and he was saying yeah. that maybe they don't have the best uh best outlook for humanity but he thinks maybe there's different ones or something i would have to go back and listen to that but i didn't like take him seriously because i was like okay like i'm interested in your dad's case i was like it's cool that you're on tinfoil hat because i love that show it's with sam tripoli he's like a comedian but he does like a it's a big conspiracy podcast you know but i was like so i'll give him the respect of being on the show but it's more like his dad that i want to hear about the experience it's like you know what i mean like that's how yeah, i thought yeah. about that what about the Avery case like what, 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 what's oh, yeah. i've never heard of that like i don't want to take up too much of your time i'm sorry i, I just these, are, these cases are so good yeah the, the Avery case yeah that's one that i haven't heard about much but i found in an old flying saucer review magazine or a cup spread over a couple of issues of fsr fsr magazine that old flying saucer review um and uh yeah it's and, and i talk about that in my book because uh it, it's incredibly interesting that there was a couple um that's i think it's pronounced avely but i'm not i've never heard it pronounced yeah. but i'm not but um avely abduction there's a, a family it was, um the two the, the couple the two adults and their three children were driving a car one day saw a, a star in the sky that seemed to be moving and then it was like it was following parallel with them and then there was <laughs> a mist there was a there was a cloud or a mist like a wall of mist that they drove into and then they drove out of it in another area another district which really freaked them out as you can imagine and it wasn't until later on when they did hypnotic regression and things like that that they found out more about what had happened there where they had been on board a craft um 
two of the children were asleep anyway. So it was just one of the children was awake for this and the two adults, the husband and wife, uh, taken on board and um, they were separated and they were asked to lie on tables and they were inspected. Um, and they were actually shown a lot of things. And um, particularly the guy, I think he had a lot of questions for them and they were very open um, and talked about, um, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but a lot of the... Uh, um, uh, the propulsion systems that they use on their craft wow. and the kind of technologies that they wear when they're outside. And they said, they also admitted that they're time travelers. They said, um, now there were two different races. There was tall, fair ones with blue eyes. Um, and then there was a shorter, there was a short, dark, there were short, dark beings with big pointed ears and f like fur and big clawed hands. Um, now, the, uh, now they were told that they were from another time and they were shown an, um, like some kind of projection or a hologram. And they said, this is um, the history of the world, our past and your future. Take this message to mankind or something like that. I'm paraphrasing heavily here, but um, so there was this implication that they're future versions of ourselves. They said, we live underneath your oceans. We live in your mountains. <laughs> um, we have been here for a long time and we require you to help us so um, basically the kind of stuff I've been talking about so far in the interview um, sort of uh, aligns with these kinds of ideas. Time travellers of a kind requiring us for genetic assistance. Um, now the small, the small beings are interesting because um, uh, the, there's a kind of being uh, that is another future human that um, is a brown colour. Now these are the beings that are in the Virginia incident in Brazil that I think that's from the 90s. Yeah, Roger um, Weir went over that a lot. He went, they went over that. That's an interesting case. Yeah, yeah. That, um, oily skinned, brown uh, skin, uh, I think uh, glowing red eyes, three ridges across the tops of their skulls. Those kinds of beings, the Majina have told me, are called Sebetjina, which are another kind of future human. But when normally when they're outside their craft, um, they wear helmets that have big pointy ears. And they also have a suit that has like a, a brown suit, skin tight, that has um, like fluff or fur on it. So it's my opinion that the people in the Avely case saw the tall whites, but also saw Sebetjina wearing these suits, not actually seeing them as they are. And their faces, their nose, they have a bit that comes up. Their, their head, the helmets kind of look like a bat's head, like a vampire bat with a sort of pointed nose and pointed ears. And eyes out. So, like the beings, um, uh, the beings in the uh, Kentucky, the Kentucky Goblins are them. Yeah, well. the, the Hopkinsville Kentucky, Goblin case. Yeah, Hopkinsville Goblins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're subjecting in their suits, that, but they're it, wearing their suits. They don't actually look. Their heads don't look like that. Their heads are. They got light, their actual faces are much more like a stereotypical grey kind of look, but they're brown with three ridges, three pronounced ridges on their skull. And then when they then they wear these helmets. But anyway, yeah, so I think you know, in the, the Avery case, there were those two two um, races side by side that are close allies, the Sabetjana and the Majana. You know, it's so interesting. These old cases are so interesting and they, they tie everything together. They, you're making me see, a, uh, to finalize everything and to finish up here, you're making me see a clear picture that these beings not only really exist, but they might be the culprits behind a lot of different things. And all these different stories tie them together. Bledsoe, Hall, uh, Jacques Vallée talked about it, Mac Tony's. It's all drawing a similar picture, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, different elements of the larger, greater narrative. Yeah. And um, I just love it, man. I mean, you obviously love it yourself, you know, uh, just investigating yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I love that yeah. you bring the evidence that the, the, the points to the old cases, because I think that's we need that. Right. I mean, like to try to identify what this phenomena is and and maybe there's other phenomena going on, too. Like we don't know what the grays are. And, and I'm wondering if there really are reptilians. I hear there are from many different people. Like what are your thoughts on reptilians real quick? Yeah, I, I'm not popular in this respect, I don't think, because I don't think that those exist. Now, I think, in my opinion, um, reptilians is a misidentification of some of the future human races that have scaly skin and claws. So this is how this has sort of begun. Also, the tall whites, when they're wearing these boa suits, um, tall, lanky, uh, dark beings, glowing red eyes and claws, cloaking and um shape-shifting only in the sense that they can you know make you think they look like uh you know different people or, or a um, reptilian oh well well that's all that's that's also an element too because they can um project something that conforms to your preconceived ideas about what things look like you know that they can they can um utilize your own like um vocabulary of ideas and your own um belief system and paradigm and cosmology your own religious beliefs your own beliefs about ghosts and the paranormal preconceived ideas about what ets are and things like that and they can slip that on like a glove and if if they think it will assist in them communicating with you facilitating com communication or manipulating you for some reason they feel that you need to be uh informed about something or manipulated in some way helped even or whatever helped along they can they're masters of deceit and deception in that as well so yeah, in my personal opinion, I don't think reptilian ETs exist. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people out there that say that they do and are forthright and honestly, genuinely saying they've had experiences with these beings and things like that. Um, I, I doubt it that, though, that they're real, though, that they have a real objective physical base in reality. I think that they're misidentifications most of the time. It's a, it's a, it's a different race, basically. It's some race, but it's a different race than what people think that a remnant yeah. reptilian. Like, that's pretty interesting. Um, I, I don't have any other questions. I'm trying to think. I, 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 uh, can you tell everybody where they can find the book and if they have questions for you or anything like that, where they can find you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Robert. Um, yeah, my book, Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials, is published by Flying Disc Press, and it's just available on, available on Amazon. So your paperback, hardcover, and uh, digital. We were going to have it as an audio book there at one stage, but uh, that all fell through, unfortunately. Um, and I have a YouTube channel, which is just my name, if people want to check that out. Post things on there occasionally, just sort of like a vlog, Ryan Musgrave Evans. Um, and I'm not on social media anymore. I pulled the plug on that. People can send me an email if they'd like. They just go into the, um, if you go onto my YouTube channel and go into the about section, you'll find my email under business inquiries if people want to have a yarn about anything, have That's a question. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I always have an interesting time talking to you, man. This was great. Uh, thank you, Robert. Good on you, mate. Thanks All for right. the invite. I'll talk to thanks. you. I'll talk to you soon. I'll send you a link All when right. I upload it too. Okay. Thanks. Bye.